Uh, let's pray. Um, Heavenly Father, we uh, come to you, and as we um, look into this uh, portion of your word, God, that may your truth once again be declared, and that may we come to a deeper understanding uh, of your truth. And Lord, we also, uh, just also pray for uh, the Sunday school teachers who may have to leave early, uh, that your, your presence will be with them as well. Continue to use them for your kingdom's sake. And allow us to have attentive heart and minds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You have my word is a statement uh, that we use to emphasize that we are serious about keeping a promise, right? We say, you have my word. I, you know, I give you my word. And that's what we would say. Basically, we are saying that you have to trust me on this. I am going to keep my promise. So it carries more weight than simply saying, you know, for what it's worth, right? Um, and I think um, one of the biggest struggles that we have as Christians is to really trust God's word. The promises that he makes, we have to admit and we have to be honest with ourselves that, that we struggle to really trust his promises. Uh, with that in mind, you know, one theme that we constantly see in Genesis is that God is a covenant-keeping God. God that we serve, God as revealed in the scriptures, is that God is a covenant-keeping God. Different characters including Abraham, come and go in Genesis. But there is one constant, and that is that God makes a covenant with his people, and he faithfully keeps the covenant. Right? We see that covenant that God has even made with Noah. You know, he said that I will never again destroy mankind with flood or with water. Right? So he makes a covenant. He makes a covenant with Abraham. It makes a covenant with Isaac, Jacob, and so on and so forth. So, you know, uh, so we talk about, you know, so the, the thing is, the concept of covenant is not very familiar uh, to modern readers like us. Uh, we kind of think, uh, think of it like a contract, right? Um, but the covenant uh, in the Bible, in biblical time, is more than our modern understanding of a, of a contract. You know, two years ago, or so we switched uh, our phone service, ca- phone carrier from you know Verizon to another carrier. I'm not gonna na- uh, name it. Okay, Sprint. All right. <laughs> so because the, 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 they ran a promo saying that uh, if you switch from Verizon, we'll give you 50% off. That was like a you know short promo, and I was like, you know, I'm a frugal person. I was like, I jumped on it. I was like, oh, 50% off, and they did give me actually literally like 50% off. So enjoyed it for a couple of years. And then um, all was well until last month when the, um, they jacked the price. So it was more than what I was paying with Verizon. I was like, what, what's, what's, ha- what's happening? So I'm not going to take that, right? So I shopped around, and then eventually I ended up going back to Verizon. But prepaid plans, it was still, it was third of the, the price that I was paying. Um, but the, the complication was that while we were with uh, Sprint, we bought two iPhones. So we were on this in- monthly installment plan, and um, I still owe them the balance. And the thing was that I also had to pay the penalty for breaking that, that, that contract that we were on uh, about the, the installment uh, payment plan. 
And so, um, you know, have to really just pay the hefty penalty um, but because the contract stipulates that, right? I had to pay it to get out of the contract. To, to even in today's term, to terminate the contract uh, prematurely, you have to pay the penalty. You have, to, uh, you have to honor the contract. Otherwise, there will be consequences for getting out of the contract. It's a serious matter. However, during the Old Testament time, making a covenant was far more serious uh, thing than agreeing to a covenant in today's world. So why is it a big deal that God made a covenant with Abraham? I mean, is it really that? What's really that important about this? Um, so we're going to be looking at, looking at it uh, in today's chapter. And so the first thing that I want to talk about is the significance of this chapter. Um, and then we're going to be looking at the gospel implication. So uh, this chapter, this long chapter, I, I, uh, I understand, is indeed a watershed moment in the Abraham story. It, makes a, it marks a turning point. We see the change of uh, Abram's name from Abram to Abraham and Sarai to Sarah. Right? Uh, it's a more familiar name uh, to us. And um, there is a significance to that, so we're, we're going to get to that too. Um, so this whole chapter is pretty much a long divine discourse devoted to details of the covenant promises. But the question is, if you've been following us, you know, God already made his covenant back in chapter 15. So wasn't covenant was already made then? Did God forget that he already made a covenant with him? Because it's been about 13 years, right? So did God forget? What's different here is that the covenant here in this chapter is amplified from that time, from that covenant. Not only that, it's also essentially ratified. It was confirmed. And the sign of the covenant, circumcision, ouch, right? It's introduced. And so, but then, you know, some of us may think, so, I mean, you know, okay, so... What's the big deal? Um, so stay with me. It, it's once again, it's, uh, there's a lot of theological like content uh, to today's uh, message. So now we see that there have been 13 years of silence between chapter 16 and chapter 17, the chapter that we just read. And it's not like these events took place one after another. There have been 13 years of silence from God. Why didn't God simply fulfill his promise right away? And one thing that we have to understand is that God's timetable is radically different from ours. And I think it's one of the hardest truths for us to accept, right? Because whenever we want something from God, especially, we say, I want it now, God. I want it now. When, I, when I'm in need of something, whether it's a job, or a, a, a spouse, or school, grades, promotion, we usually want God to answer right away. God, you have to really do this for me now, at this moment. But as we know, so often, how God has been dealing with us, from our own experiences, that God has been, at times, more often than not, that God has been silent. God hasn't really responded 
the way we would ask God to, to respond. What we have to understand is that God's silence does not mean that he's not doing anything or that God is indifferent. He has been and he is working to accomplish his purpose. Most likely, God has been waiting for Abraham and Sarah to die to self so that his resurrection power might be displayed in their lives. Because in this chapter, God appears to Abraham and says, I am God Almighty. In Hebrew, that word is El Shaddai. Right? It's in relation to God and to his people. It means that God is this, this almighty, this all-powerful God. And that's how God reveals himself to Abraham in this chapter. To really real, uh, help him understand that his power is almighty. And even in our lives, we have to understand that when God seems silent, he's still working on us, right? And molding us to be more like Christ. I think one of the reasons why God does not move according to our, our timetable is because God is far more interested in building character in us than really simply giving us what we want, when we want, right? That's what God is more interested in. That's what God is more, uh, that is his purpose. His purpose for us is for us to be more like him so that we will be more, uh, and he does so by building character in us. So when we are asking for something, oftentimes God may say no, or God may say wait, because God cares more about us learning to trust God more than us getting what we want right at that moment, right? Think about a child who would get whatever he or she wants whenever he or she wants. Think about a child like that. How would that child turn out to be? Most likely, he's going to be a spoiled brat, right? Imagine what would have happened if Abraham and Sarah that, that they were getting whatever they wanted, they were getting whatever they want according to their own timetable. That family, Abraham and Sarah, they would have been a one entitled family, right? And I'm sure that all the parents would know with their, when you deal with your children that you would not want to just give everything whenever your child, children are asking because you don't want to really just teach them to be really, to grow up as entitled children, right? So here, even though God has given them the promise of a child, still there have been 13 years that have passed. It's not like from chapter 16, and then right after that, you know, this happens. Think about 13 years of Abraham and Sarah waiting and waiting for God to somehow intervene. That's why... You know, so during the time, you know, Sarah must have lost all hope of motherhood. Because if you read in chapter 19, the following chapter, that's what we see in the reaction of Sarah when God tells her that you are going to bear a son. And also Abraham, in the span of 13 years, I mean, 13 years is a long time, right? Right? Even in our standard, he has come to accept the idea that Ishmael, was his promised son. That's why when God reveals 
God tells him that actually Sarah was gonna born, gonna bear a child to you. You know, verse seventeen, it says, "Then Abraham, uh, Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child?" And Abraham said to God, "Oh, that Ishmael might live before you." Right? So he's, he didn't really believe that either. He came to accept, really, at least Ishmael was his son, even though not through Sarah. So, may he, so he has come to accept that Ishmael was the child of the promise. That's one thing that we have to come to understand first, is that when God promises things to us, that does not mean that God would work according to our timetable. God has a far greater purpose for us. Here, God keeps repeating, my covenant. This is my covenant here. In other words, he's saying its fulfillment rests on God himself, not on men. God didn't say, this is your covenant, this is our covenant, but God keeps saying, this is my covenant. I see to it that this will come to pass. The covenant uh, the initiated in chapter 15 stresses the promise of the land, but here there are additional, like when I say it's amplified or expanded, there are two aspects uh, that are expanded. And the first is the identity and the abundance of descendants. That's why there was a change of name from Abram. It means exalted father. The Abram, it meant exalted father. To now, he, God says, you, you shall change your name to Abraham, meaning the father of many nations. He's, so once again, the abundance of descendants are promised. And the second thing here uh, that, that we see that God has expanded is the nature of the covenant that, that God has given to Abraham, the nature of the covenant, that the covenant that God has promised to Abraham here is everlasting. It's eternal. The promises were given before, but the, the everlasting nature of the promises is expressly uh, mentioned here. Because in chapter 15, when the, covenant, when the covenant was given, there was no mention yet of it being eternal. And as God reiterates, uh, reiterates his uh, role in the covenant, the focus is centered on his everlasting faithfulness. And um, also, another thing here is the clarified is the essence of the covenant is more clearly defined. That in verses 7 and 8, God is saying, I will be your God and also your descendants. He includes the descendants of Abraham, that he, I will be their God as well. Right. Generations after generations, God will forever be their God. It's not, his promise does not end with Abraham, but his descendant after descendant. So God makes his covenant everlasting. It's an ongoing thing. So in, in essence, what God is saying is, I, the El Shaddai, the omnipotent creator of the world and the redeemer of mankind, will be the Israel's God. And um, 
What's really amazing is that compared to the obligations that God has taken upon himself for the benefit of Abraham's descendants, the duties imposed on Abraham are pretty light. I mean, he binds himself that I'm going to do this. I'm going to bind myself to keep my promise. And on Abraham's part, the duties were what he had to do was pretty light in light of what God was doing. Because his part was his obedience to the covenant. And what this involved immediately was that every male among them was to be circumcised. Yes, it's painful, but it's temporary. After some time, the pain will go away. It is that the circumcision was a sign of the Israel's covenant status. Because, you know, once you are circumcised, you cannot go back, right? You cannot undo your circumcision. So the circumcision reflects the eternity of the covenant that God has made with Israel, the permanent bond between God and Israel. So it was a reminder of a special relationship that Israel had with God. And um, the thing is, the covenant promises were remarkable, but now, and you think that after God has clarified and expanded his uh, covenant promise, that he would kind of stop there. But then he doesn't stop there, but he goes even a step further. So the covenant promises up to this moment, it it was pretty remarkable, but now they become astonishing because God is not done. And he says, now, as to you, Sarai, you shall change your name to Sarah. Uh, both of them are named, uh, it's, it means princess, right? So we don't know exactly what, how that really, what signified. But the thing is that she would become a mother to many nations as well, right? They're announcing that not only that, that she would bear a child in her old age, right? So when Abraham heard that God would greatly increase his descendants, he fell on his face, showing utmost respect and submission. But when he heard how God would carry out his plan through a son born by Sarah, um, he laughed. Right? He's like, are you serious, God? Right? So there was a, his respect contained this tinge of, of laughter. Um, and here, when God... Uh, so it, when Abram thought that, and he said to himself, well, can, can I really bear a child? Can, can she bear a child? That's, I don't know, God. So that's why, oh, only if Ishmael would uh, live and, just be, is, uh, and would multiply. Right? Here, what we see is that actually that when Abraham laughs, it doesn't really show a lack of faith, but the limitation of his faith. It's not like he had no faith whatsoever in God's promise here, as incredible as it may sound, but it just shows a limitation. There's a difference. So it's not an absence of faith that, um, that Abram shows here when God promises a son through Sarah. Right? It's not, he's not talking about his faith is not absent, but his faith is limited. Right? That um, what we see here is that Abraham's faith must grow if he is to continue to put his trust in God's promise. You know, we see that from the very get-go. We may think that because he was Abraham, we may think that he had such an otherworldly faith 
from the very beginning. It was not the case. He had to also go through ups and downs. Right? And as he was going through all the, the failures and successes, the, his, his faith was maturing. God had to be patient with him, teaching him lessons. And I think that really gives us a hope that just because our faith is not where it should be at this moment, right, does not mean that we will not get there. Right? Through refiner's fire, we can actually come out, of, come out on the other side as a purified gold and silver. Our faith will grow by God's grace. Don't assume that just because Abraham is featured prominently here, that from the very beginning to the very end, that he never slipped. His faith was bulletproof. It was nothing like that. He had to grow in his faith as well. So even here, he shows a tinge of uh, lack of faith, uh, the, uh, the limitation of his faith. And isn't that also uh, us too? I don't know about you guys, but for me too, like, even though I'm a pastor, I am still growing. I'm still understanding of who God is. My understanding is expanding. And as a result, my faith in God is growing as well. When I was much younger, my faith in God was much smaller. Right? But as I'm maturing, as I'm growing in the Lord, my faith, I see that it's growing deeper. And here... So, the, uh, so the, how is it important to us? Is that God is a covenant-keeping God, meaning that we can truly trust in him. Even though we may still struggle with our fleshly desires and our own thoughts that are apart from the, the truth, that we can still hope that through God's patience, through God's working in our lives, that we can continue to put our trust, that we are not to give up, we're not to quit in the middle and say, I'm done with this being a Christian thing. We continue to put our trust and faith in God and keep going, moving forward in our lives. And the second point is the gospel implication. So, okay, so that's all good. But how does this really relate to us? How does it relate to me, right? It's about Abraham and God, right? So I, I don't see any relevance here. Um, so once again, going back to covenant, right? What's so amazing is that God has entered into a covenant relationship with his creation. That is the, the mind-boggling thing for, to, to, for us to really understand. That God, the creator God, the God who is almighty, has entered into a covenant relationship with his creation. When he, did not, he didn't have to at all, right? He binds himself. He agrees to go into this uh, the promise and the binding agreement with human beings. Covenant, especially in relation to God, is the most secure binding agreement in the universe. It will never change. Psalm 89, 34 and 35 says this. I don't know. Yeah. It says, I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that, I, that went forth from my lips. Once for all, I have sworn by holiness. I will not lie to David. God says, I will never, the promise and the covenant that I make, it will never be altered. I'm going to just say, oops, sorry. Going with plan B, never. <clears throat> you know, back in those days, the covenant, you know how it was made? The common pra practice went like this. When the two parties 
wanting to make a covenant or literally cut covenant, basic thing that they were really saying, when you are entering into a covenant with another person, basic thing that you are saying to that person is, I love you and what I have is yours. And what is yours is mine. Under the penalty of death, we are going to become one. So it was a very, very serious thing when you enter into a covenant. So people would not simply uh, cut covenant or just make a covenant casually at that time. Right? And so if both parties wanted to enter into a covenant, they killed an animal and they cut, them, uh, cut the animal into two pieces. The two will stand opposite one another and each will remove his own rope and hand it to each other. And they will put on the, uh, the other's robe as a sign of the covenant. That they will just exchange the robe that they were wearing. It's really the picture of the covenant <coughs> of grace. Just as like, you know, Jesus is putting on, we, when we made a covenant with Jesus Christ, when we put our trust in Christ, that's what Jesus does to us. That he puts on our filthy robe filled with sin, and then now we take over his robe filled with, uh, with his righteous garment. Then now we just put on the new self, new garment, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So these two people, when they enter into a covenant, that's what they do. They will just exchange the garment, and then the two will exchange swords and bows, signifying that your enemy has become my enemy. That's what they would do. That's how, this, is, this, is a, this is how serious it is. And then they would um, have each other's belt, right? It signifies that my, from now on, my strength will be your strength. Or I will be your strength when you are weak. In your weakness, I will be your strength. And then they would walk past the cut pieces, signifying that I am dying to my independent living. I'm going to be dying to my own rights. Now we are one. So that's the, the ritual that they would do when they make a covenant. And then they would point to heaven and to the, uh, to the cut pieces saying, may this be done to me if I break this covenant. May God slay me if I do not keep the covenant that we just made here, right? Does this sound familiar? Because that's exactly what God was doing in chapter 15, right? There were two cut pieces. And then there, instead of like Abraham going through that, it was God by himself walking through that covenant, making the covenant with Abraham. And what God was saying is, may this be done to me if I do not keep my covenant that I'm making with you, Abraham. And then they would make a cut on their own wrist, and the blood will flow. They would do that. They would just cut themselves. And then they would uh, pick up a stone and rub it, into, uh, rub it onto the cut so that there would be a scar that will remain permanently as a solemn reminder of the covenant. That was a ritual of a covenant in the Old Testament times. It was no simple signing 
your contract. Oh, if I don't keep it, I'll pay the penalty. I'll just go to like prison or something. Doesn't matter. It was far more serious thing when some people made covenant in those days. And then every time they would look at the scar, they would remember the covenant. So in a sense, when God says, make a circumcision right here, that is also the sign of the covenant that you would remember that I have made a covenant, eternal, everlasting covenant with you and your descendants. The sign is there. It is not, it cannot be undone. Talks about the uh, eternality of the everlasting nature of the covenant. And you know, when two people make a covenant, they were pointing to heaven and have God as their witness, the highest authority. But in chapter 15, God had no greater authority than himself. So that's why he was really saying when he walked through that, the two cut pieces, as Pastor Jay uh, talked about, he was swearing by himself because he couldn't point to another authority, higher authority than himself. So he was saying when he made a covenant that may I be cut to pieces just like here, right? May I be cursed if I do not keep the promises that I make. Can you imagine the El Shaddai, God Almighty, would put himself in that situation? What is God saying? He said, I am that serious. I'm that serious about keeping my promises. And he would put himself bound to that promise. You know, when usually when the, the covenants were made at the time, usually like uh, the two, two parties, both of them were kind of in need. Like you have something that I don't, but I have something that you don't. And let's make a, let's make a deal. Let's make a covenant in, uh, under the penalty of death, right? Because I need something from you and you need something from me. That's how the covenants were ratified. They were made. But in case of the creation and the creator God, God would not need anything. What can we offer to God that God would need from us when God is the almighty God? Why would, what is he lacking? What is really need that God should bind himself? I'm going to make myself under the penalty of death and self-curse. I'm going to do this for you, for your benefit. And this covenant-keeping God ultimately fulfills his promise through his son, Jesus Christ. That the promises have been made and eventually the everlasting covenant has been fulfilled. (laughs) It was not just simply with Abraham and his descendants, the Jewish uh, people, but now it extends to all of us, the Gentiles through the, uh, the, uh, the, the blood and the sacrifice, the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the God that we serve. This is the God, how he reveals himself to us. That when we put our trust in Jesus Christ, that he has paid the price for us. The only thing that God now just asks, asks from us, just as he's done here, is to trust me. Trust me and follow me. Be more like me, right? And that is what God is asking. And yet, to us, we still think, oh, it's too much. I'm a Christian, so I cannot do this. I cannot do that when everybody else is doing it. It's not fair, God. 
How can I get away with some of the things? And still try to just, you know, get what he, what he can provide for me. Right? We have to understand when God has made a covenant, when God has made a covenant with Abraham, and also God has made a covenant with us through Jesus Christ, it is something that is eternal. We cannot undo what he has promised. And our response, it calls for trust and obedience in light of what God has promised, how he has, how he has gone about to make the promise as he made this covenant with his people. That includes us. That's, I will stay faithful under the penalty of uh, curse and death. I'm going to put myself on the line to make sure that I'm going to keep my end of the deal. I'm going to keep my promise. So, you know, when we go through life, there are times when we're like, God, are you really, are you going to really do this? Do you, are you going to really just keep your promise? Once again, we have to be reminded, yes, emphatic yes. God reveals himself to us in Genesis as a God who keeps his covenant. He not only initiates and makes a covenant, but he puts himself under the binding agreement, a covenant, and say, I'm dead serious about keeping my promise. That as we understand that this is the kind of God that we serve, that we would really say, you know what? We need to really just um, put our trust in God, really believe in the promises. There may be times when God may just take some time, but once again, to fulfill his promise. But it's not to just simply frustrate us. It is not to simply just make, uh, make our lives miserable, but because God has a higher purpose. Maybe through those times of waiting, that God wants us to be more like him. That we will not simply become entitled people, spoiled people. Hey, God, I want you, you know, you're my genie. You know, just like whenever I want, I want that, you know, you're like just like a vending machine, right? I put in the quarter, and I want what the product that I want. That's not how we are to relate to God, but to simply submit, trust him, trust that he will keep his promise as he has shown in this covenant-making uh, event. May that be our mindset going forward. Let's pray.